The Laughter Permitted Podcast is brought to you by Ally. Do it right. Hello, Lightness, our old friends. We've come to talk with you again. Hello. Happy Thanksgiving to our dope village. And for those of you who have never been here before, welcome to Laughter Permitted and welcome to our dope village. I'm Julie Foudy. I'm here with Lynn Olzawi. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Julie. To give our listeners a heads up, Julie just ate a fried cinnamon roll. <laughs> it so is a donut. There is no telling what will happen next. <laughs> In about 0.25 seconds. You literally were like, did you have that cinnamon roll? I'm like, it's in my belly. <laughs> the it's whole thing. You gone. often try to eat just a half. I eat two halves and then it feels less than a whole. If you cut it in half, she's like, why do you always cut it? I'm like, because right. then I just ate two halves. I didn't really have the whole donut. Okay. That's some good math. Do we have an episode for you? Regarding this episode, I had dinner at your house the day we did the interview, and we did high-low cheer. Mm-hmm, of course. And both of us had this interview as our high of the day. So our guest is American adventurer and professional rock climber, Emily Harrington. And literally, if you Google Emily's name, American adventurer will pop up. Emily made headlines recently when she became the first woman to free climb El Capitan's Golden Gate route in under 24 hours. Emily is a five-time U.S. national champion in sport climbing. She has summited Mount Everest and traveled the world climbing iconic peaks in Nepal, China, Myanmar, Crimea, Morocco. She's been everywhere. She's also a rad human being, and as you all know, those are our favorite. So get comfortable listening. It's Emily Harrington. Hey there, Dope Village. As y'all know, Ally has backed Laughter Permitted since day one of our podcast as our financial ally. And honestly, Lynn, I might just tattoo Ally on my forehead. And Ally is currently on a mission to change the game for women sports. And get this, along with being sponsors of the National Women's Soccer League, Atlantic Coast Conference, United States Golf Association, and the Las Vegas Aces, Ally has committed to an equal media investment in women's and men's sports. And you, my friends, can be part of the change by watching your favorite athletes crush it on TV, by going to women's sporting events in person, by, I don't know, maybe listening to every single episode of this amazing podcast on trailblazing women. Because every time you show up for women's sports, you are helping move the game forward. You can learn more about Ally by visiting ally.com. Hey there, Dope Village. Lynn and I have been involved in women's sports our entire lives. And truly, we've never been more excited for what's to come in this women's sports space. And one big reason, Ally. Ally has made a commitment to an equal media investment in women's and men's sports. And that means more money going to women's sports and more visibility for what these incredible athletes are accomplishing. Ally is on a mission to change the game for women's sports. So here at Laughter Permitted, we're going to keep telling the stories of trailblazing women. And every time you listen in, you are part of that change. To learn more about Ally, go to ally.com. Kick back. 
doing this darling we appreciate it yeah happy to be here then we're good i think we're good i think we're all all of us are coffeeed up i had two cups so look out and that's always trouble awesome that's trying to cut myself at one and a half but that never happens oh i never do that i know (laughs) my problem is my little tea bag of a bladder i will be like excuse me can i go to the bathroom that's fair yeah (laughs) especially when you sit on zoom all day i know all right so emily the first thing we always do on the podcast is we ask our guests to set the scene where you are what you're doing everything that's happening so emily please set the scene i am in a place called hurricane hurricane Utah. It's in Southern Utah, sort of on the border of Utah, Arizona, and Nevada. And it is home to some amazing limestone hills, cliffs. Um, There's just climbing everywhere all over here. Um, So my fiance and I drove down here this past week. We're going to spend quite a few weeks down here just climbing, um, escaping, escaping winter for a little bit. Is that like the Zion area? It is. Yep. Actually, you can see Zion from where I'm staying. Um, So there's also Zion, but then there's all these other places to go climbing around here. It's sort of like a, it's sort of like a, an epicenter of rock climbing in the winter here because it's one of the only places where it's, it's warm enough to do so. Your photo gallery, by the way, speaking, I was just visualizing you there in, you know, this beautiful red rock that's glowing. Your photo gallery on your Instagram and just on your website, I I was like, oh my gosh. I know. What is this life you lead? It's insane. Right? (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's quite, it's quite weird, but it's pretty, it's pretty magical. I just spend my time traveling the world, finding various formations to, to climb on. (laughs) And the pictures are insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, just that one with the, uh, it's like there's this abyss between two ice peaks and you have the ladder going across and oh, you're walking yeah. the ladder on the ice. It's like, yeah, that's actually, that's on Mount Everest. Um, oh, was it? Yeah. <laughs> no big deal. No big Mount deal. Everest. Just, just Mount Everest. <laughs> Let's actually start there. How, how did you get into rock climbing? I actually, I started rock climbing when I was 10 years old. I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. Um, and I, I grew up skiing and doing gymnastics. And when I was 10, my family took me to a lake and there was a little festival going on there. And they had one of those, like, I don't know if you've seen them around. There's like, it's like a, an amusement park. So they have like those little artificial, like artificial wall, like rock wall yeah. t- towers mm-hmm. for kids mm-hmm. to climb on. And I was with my cousins at the time who were my age, but they're both boys. And we all decided that we just like wanted to climb that, climb the wall. We wanted to try it. And for me, it was a little competitive. I was always competitive with my cousins and I always wanted to like be better than them at whatever they did. And I, uh, yeah, so I, I climbed the wall and I just remember this feeling of like, it was almost like this, like that I, like I belonged there. Like, oh, this is something that I'm meant to be doing. You know, like wow. one of those, one of those weird feelings that you're just like, oh yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And I, I, in a 10 year old's brain, you're just like, oh wow. yeah, that's for me. And I remember telling my dad, I was like, dad, I want to climb 
I want to go climbing. Like, can we make, you know, how do I do, how do we make that happen? So he brought me to the climbing gym the next week. And that was like, after that, I like quit doing everything else. <laughs> really? Yeah. So it was love at first sight. Yeah, it really was. It was like this very interesting feeling of just like, oh, I found my passion. Like, this is what, it, this is what it is. And there was like no looking back ever. What's the progression then as a 10 year old to being an interest for you? And then it becomes a competitive sport. I mean, it happened really quickly. I'm actually one of the first, I was a part of the first generation of, of kids who grew up climbing in a gym who were introduced to climbing through artificial, like an artificial indoor setting and through competition. So I started competing like within a month of starting climbing. I joined like a junior climbing team and the main focus was like going to competitions and just sort of focusing on that side of that aspect of climbing. And, um, it pretty quickly, that was my focus. And that, that was all I wanted to do was, was compete and win. (laughs) Did that love diminish at all? You know, you always hear professional athletes who are like, you know, I loved it. And now I don't get the same joy out of it. It doesn't seem that way with you though. Well, the thing that's so interesting about climbing is that you can take it in so many directions, you know, like I'll, I, I'd come, you know, if you think about like a swimmer, a competitive swimmer, they just swim in the same pool. It's like the same type of shoot me now, same thing over and over and over again. And so, yeah, if you do that for 23 years, then you would get tired of it. And of course I grew tired of competing. Of, t- of course I grew tired of like training in the gym, but now I can, I can do other, other forms of climbing. I can go climb big mountains or I can go climb big walls in Yosemite, or I can go try to like make my own routes in South America. Or, you know, it, it's very, it's very diverse and there's a lot of mm-hmm. different ways to take it. And so for me, it's, it's just never been boring because I'm, I'm really good at mixing it up and I've Mm -hmm. made it a goal of mine to always, um, be really versatile as an athlete. Before we talk about your climbing, I thought it would be helpful to do climbing 101 for those of us who've never done any climbing in our lives before. So I thought this could be a bit of a rapid fire, kind of an education for us so that when we do talk about climbing, we'll have a a little bit of a sense of, of what your world is like. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Question one, what is the difference between a free solo and a free climb? Very, very important distinction to make. Um, very confusing one for most people. Free climbing is when you are ascending a wall using only your hands and feet, but you use a rope and we use protection in case we fall. So it's like what you do in the climbing gym. It's, it's what is in the Olympics this in, in ne- next year, not this year anymore. Um, it is like what 90% of like you think of climbing is free climbing. Um, but we use a rope and we use protection in case we fall because it's safe. Um, free soloing is when you don't re- use a rope and you're climbing and if you fall, you die. Um, so that's the distinction and it's very confusing. And I think that we need to change it because it confuses everyone yeah. and it frustrates climbers. <laughs> What would you change it to? And you're tired of explaining it. I don't know. I just don't think you can use the term, like the word free is so confusing for everyone. I don't Mm. don't know what we'd use it. Like, it's just, we got to, we got to brainstorm. We got to come up with something new though. Cause as climbing gains popularity, people just get so confused about it. And I do end up explaining it a lot. Um, But I, I'm a free climber. I climb using a rope and protection most of the time. 
And from what I understand, the ropes, though, aren't aiding you in the climb. It's that it's there's a safety. Yeah. So yeah. it's not aid. It's just for yeah. safety. So if you fall, the rope catches you. Um, there also is another type of climbing called aid climbing, which is essentially you use the rope to ascend. Um, so you're not just using your hands and feet on the rock. You're using the rope and you're pulling on the rope and you're pulling on the gear. Um, and that is aid climbing. So and that's like the climbing I think I would do right there. I yeah. Need. A lot of people do that too. Yeah. Um, also fun because you can, you know, you can get up high and stuff, but free climbing takes a lot more um, like technique and skill. All right. Question two in climbing 101. Why is El Capitan in Yosemite so famous for climbers? El Capitan in Yosemite is so famous because it is where American rock climbing sort of was born. It was, it's very historic and it's iconic because that is where our history, that's where the history of rock climbing is in this country. Um, and also it is one of the most famous climbing areas in the world um, because it is one of the most beautiful. It, El Cap is one of the biggest, most difficult walls in the world. It is like on every climber's bucket list to visit hmm. someday. And then how many routes are on El Capitan? Um, so there's, I actually just heard this statistic recently. There's like a couple hundred ways to climb El Cap using aid. So you're using like what I was saying, you're pulling on the rope, rope and gear and stuff. And right now there's only about 15 free climbs. So routes that you can ascend using only your hands and feet um, and the rope for protection. And are these routes that people have figured out over the years? Yep. It's routes that people have figured out. They've gone up there. They've looked at like the imperfections in the, in the wall and they've sort of like worked out the sequences and the moves and they've found mm -hmm. like a way up. Um, and right now there's definitely more potential for other free climbs, but it's very, very, very difficult. Um, it's difficult in general just to free climb El Cap. And right now there's only like around 15 or so ways to do it free climbing. And then how high up is El Cap? It's about 3,200 feet tall. Wow. <laughs> and how does one go about becoming a professional rock climber to the point where someone asks you what you do for a living and you're able to say, I'm a rock climber. <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's, it's a good question. Um, it's not, it wasn't my plan, um, but I started climbing at a very young age. I started competing at a young age. I became very successful at competition climbing when I was a teenager. And um, I didn't, I didn't really, have it in my head that I was going to become a professional rock climber. But when I graduated from college, I was offered a sponsorship by the North Face. Hmm. And that's where everything sort of took off. The North Face has this very well-established, very well-respected athlete team. Um, they place a lot of emphasis on their athletes. Um, and one of their main, main focuses is rock climbing. And so at the time, they were looking for someone like me and I joined the team. And, and I had it in my head that I was going to go to law school and like become a lawyer and all of that. But I was like, well, this is a great opportunity. I should give it a try. I should give it a shot. Um, and here I am 12 years later, still on the North face team, still doing what I'm doing. Um, also I think, you know, back then we didn't have social media. We didn't have as an athlete, I couldn't really create my own content like I can today. Um, and so I think it just sort of has morphed into this career that's sort of like, you know, it's like glorified marketing, storytelling, 
um, <laughs> professional athlete. Like there's a lot, there's kind of a lot that goes into it. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's- pure radness <laughs> who wants to be a lawyer when you I know right American adventurer that's what comes up when you google your name American adventurer <laughs> I was like true. I want to be an American <laughs> yeah it's been, it's been a wild ride and it's it's pretty fun um all right let's go to the big day November 4th yeah and I, I'd like to know the why actually like why were you determined to scale that Golden Gate route of LCAP and, and why in one day? Yeah, uh, I thought about this a lot recently. I think, so I've always had it, I had it as a goal to free climb LCAP. It's kind of like one of those things that as a rock climber, um, kind of, a, it's, an, it's an aspiration. It's the biggest, one of the most difficult. It's just pure adventure. Um, I love rock climbing. I love being up high on the wall. I love the challenge of it. And so I free climbed Golden Gate in a, in six days in t- 2015. And I came away from that experience really proud, really kind of destroyed from the whole thing. I kind of, it was, it was my limit at the time. Um, in six days, it took you six too. Six days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It took me six days. And I was relatively inexperienced with that style of climbing, um, just with the idea of of climbing a wall that big. Uh, it's just, there's a lot of logistics that go into it. Um, it's quite a bit different than just like going to your local climbing gym and like climbing, <laughs> climbing the plastic yeah. holds, um, which is what I grew up doing. Um, and so the idea to free climb El Cap in a day, it's a very, uh, it's a very ambitious goal. It's a very audacious thing to try to do simply because it is so much climbing. It's so much difficult climbing mm-hmm. and it requires a, a very solid mix of strength, and technical ability in addition to like the stamina to, to, to climb for that, that long. Um, and the, the one thing that I find really cool about that achievement is that the first person to free climb El Cap in a day was a woman. Um, her name is Lynn Hill and she did yeah. it in 1994. And Crazy. at the time it was like one of those achievements that everyone's jaw just like, hit the floor when it happened it was like nobody thought it was possible like nobody even could fathom that that was something that anybody could do and lynn just went and did it and there's this famous quote of her and she just says it goes boys and it's just like (laughs) this brilliant an achievement in climbing's history that is it was pioneered by and owned by a woman and I just um, think that that is so cool. And it's yeah. one of the most important things that's ever happened in climbing. Like everyone who climbs knows about Lynn Hill free climbing El Cap in a day. So mm-hmm. to me, it, you know, that alone was an inspiring achievement to strive towards. Um, and so, so for that, I've, and I grew up in the same town as Lynn. I got to climb with her when I was young. I know her, wow. she's a friend of mine. And I just think that it's just so rad. Like she's such a badass. Um, so to be able to like, join that sort of like club was really inspiring to me in a way in addition Mm -hmm. to the fact that the experience itself of just going out and having a huge day of climbing is is one of the things that inspires me most about climbing just like having to be at your limit for that long having to keep it together having a lot of uncertainty and a lot of um doubt and having to deal with all of those emotions and really not knowing if it's possible for, for right. you or not. For yeah. me, I felt like it was an impossible dream. Like I didn't know if I was actually going to be able to do it. There's a lot of things that can go wrong during that, during that 24 hour period. Um, and to be able to, 
to stick with it and keep it together is something that I'm just, I'm just so proud of it. To, to your point about just pushing those limits, you put in that, in your Instagram post, we love this quote, uh, by the way, uh, you wrote, I knew I was in for a big day, but that's exactly why I was there. I wanted to find my limit and exist in it and fight beyond it. And I, I love that line. I want to define my limit, exist in it, and fight beyond it. What does existing in your limit actually mean to you? Yeah, um, I think I think it's one of the main reasons that I climb is just sort of existing in a place of uncertainty and of discomfort and of like intense emotions um, for a long period of time where you really have to like you really have to dive into who you are. Um, hmm. it's, it's a pretty inco- uncomfortable experience. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of overcoming that, that has to happen. And I just, I find those moments to be so powerful. And I, I find that I learn a lot about myself through them. And I just, for me, I look back on those times and they're just some of the most vivid and empowering experiences of my life. And they make me realize that like, oh, well, if I can do that, like, you know, I can, what else can I do? (laughs) Can you take us to one of those vivid moments where you've had whatever you were feeling and you felt it? Yeah. So I, um, actually during the climb, I, uh, I was pretty close to the top. I was starting to like gain a little bit of confidence that, oh yeah, maybe this could actually happen. Like maybe I can do this. And I slipped off of one section of the route and I hit my head. Um, and I, it was like, it was really dramatic. I hit my head. I, there was a lot of blood, head wounds bleed a lot. You can actually see the scar right here. I, I ended mm-hmm. up getting stitches. Um, and it was just one of those like, oh no, like, is this, is this the end of my attempt? Like I was super bummed. I was super, um, just kind of like, it was a whole, there was, Adrian was there, my fiance, he was like assessing me for concussion symptoms. Um, it just, the whole thing was really scary and it really drained me emotionally and it, it made me want to give up. Like I was very much of the mindset of like, I want to be, I want to be done. I want to go home. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, but going back to that quote, like that was why I was there was to sort of like get or reach those limits, like reach those moments where I really question whether or not I can do it and push beyond them. And so what I ended up doing was I told myself that I was going to try one more time. I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, all you have to do is try one more time. turns out I didn't have a concussion. Like it wasn't super serious. We stopped the bleeding. Like your head, your head slammed into (laughs) Into yeah, El Capitan. Slammed into the wall. Um, yeah. So we stopped the bleeding. I put on a Band-Aid and like, you know, kind of just like recentered myself and was like, okay, all you have to do is try one more time. That's it. Like mm. just do some moves and see what happens. And so I, in a way, like I felt like I, my brain had switched to, I wasn't really thinking about the outcome. I wasn't thinking about failing. I had no more expectations. Mm. I was just like right there in the moment, which I think is a pretty hard place to reach in a lot of ways in like normal life I was like so present but at the same time I was almost like out of my own body in a way like I started climbing and I just remember it was almost like my brain separated from my body and I was just watching myself climb and 
it was like all my years of, of preparation had took over and I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking, I was just watching myself. And I just remember being like, why am I still on, like, why am I still on the wall? Like, how is this, how is this happening? I think it was that like flow state that you hear about wow. your athletes talk about. Mm-hmm. And it was just this really powerful place to be, to watch my body sort of take over and my brain like let it. And I got out of my own way essentially. And then I reached the oh. top of that pitch and everyone around me was like crying. And, <laughs> and then I had another, and then it wasn't over. I had another hard pitch left, but it took that like rock bottom, like Ugh. getting injured, questioning everything, like thinking I was going to fail and then convincing myself to try again um, to get to that like sort of euphoric place in a way. Um, I, I don't know how else to describe it, except that it's something I'll never, ever forget. Euphoric. I yeah. love that. And the fact that you're willing to exist in the uncomfortable and to stay in that uncomfortable, which for a lot of people, they don't want to live there, right? They don't want to exist there, but you're comfortable in the uncomfortable. Right. But, you know, I would argue that a lot of people actually do want to exist in there and they just don't know it. I ah, mean, I think- Such a good and- point. I love that. That's so good because if, if you haven't experienced it in a way, then you don't know. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, like, you know, that might be what's wrong with, with, with a, like a lot of people struggle with, with boredom and depression and not knowing what their direction is and, you know, sort of purposeless things. And, and I struggle with it as well. Um, but I think if we're, if we're a little bit more willing to step out of our comfort zone and stop trying to like seek out comfort all the time, um, you know, if we, if we find things that, make us a little bit scared and make us a little bit uncomfortable that challenge us in that way. I think that it can be really fulfilling. And I Mm -hmm. think in a lot of ways that might be, that might be what's missing. Yeah. Oh God. That is so good. (laughs) So good. (laughs) So good. I mean, and just to give it a little more, bit more context as well. I mean, this was your fourth attempt at this same climb. Yeah. Right. And you had slipped. It, was it the same spot or a similar spot to that prior? Right. So you had the history as well of, oh, crap, yeah. not again. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I, so, no, I didn't slip in the same spot. Actually, last year um, I slipped on the very first, like literally not even 100 feet off the ground. Mm. Um, and I fell and I it was very serious. I hit my head. I had a full-blown concussion, um, a lot of fear of like spinal injuries, mm. uh, head injury. Yeah. Um, it was pretty traumatic and I ended up having a rescue. I wound up in the hospital. They did all the tests. Um, and I, I ended up walking out of the hospital that day, which was incredibly lucky. Like there's a lot of people that would take a fall like that and it wouldn't, I just got, I got really lucky. Um, mm. I did not break. And so I came away from that experience definitely questioning whether or not I wanted to, to try again and questioning what had gone wrong, what I could do differently next time. If I did in fact want to try again. And then, you know, like we we come into 2020 and it seems like the whole world crumbles in a way. And, and I think for me, it was, it was something to hold on to. It was something to look towards. It was something to focus on. Hmm. Um, and it was something that I could control like, okay, what can I do? How can I use this time to prepare for this, this thing that kind of like beat me last time? And, and how can I 
be better and how can I approach it next time in a way that that le could lead to success. Um, and so for me, it it was traumatic, but I think it was I think it was the best case circumstance that 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 happened and that I had this whole year to kind of like fixate and obsess on on this thing and the only thing that I felt like I could control at the time. How long did it take to make the shift from probably being pretty devastated at what happened to then going into a mode of I'm going to use this as momentum to go forward? I, I think it happened pretty quickly actually. Um, it, I'm, I am that type of person that's like okay I failed at this what what is it that can change or how can it be improved or mm -hmm. what can I do next time? Because I felt like it was very much a mistake of my of mine. It wasn't like a freak accident that like it was definitely could be avoided in the future, and I knew that. And so um, essentially, I was I was being too uh, I was taking too much risk, and I was not being conservative enough. And so I just needed to find that line of of conservatism um, within the style of climbing that I was doing. And so I kind of knew the solution immediately. I knew what had gone wrong. And so in the, in a way I was a little bit excited to like, I, I hadn't gotten too injured and like rest and recover and learn from it and then get back to it. What was your saying again, when you were climbing this time that you were, you were saying to yourself yeah. over and over, it was, um, I was saying, uh, Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slow Which is, smooth, um, they say that fast. in like the army when ah. um, it's, it's like a very uh, common thing that they say in the military, I guess, um, when they're like, you know, in high pressure situations. And it is like slow down because if you yeah. rush, you're going to make mistakes. And essentially, yeah. you know, it's the same application in climbing. I'm going to try that with my uncomfortable situations. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> slow just, is smooth and smooth is fast. Yeah, you just, and it also, it's like a reminder, like slow is smooth, just stop and exist in it for a minute and then like yeah. take a step. When you're existing in it, in some moments, is there a technique or anything that you use? Like, what do you do to, bring yourself to a place where then you're ready to move on? I do a lot of like sports psychology and therapy now. <laughs> so when I talk to my therapist about this type of stuff, it is about like sort of existing in the feeling kind of like, um, it's almost like you personify it. Like say you're, say that you're dealing with fear, like you're afraid of some exposure. Like when I am on the cliff and I all of a sudden get really freaked out and afraid, it's almost like you acknowledge the fear. You're like, okay, hello, here you are. <laughs> yeah. um, I've been, you know, like you've been here before. We know how this works. Like, we're just going to work together. <laughs> you know, it's almost <laughs> like you act like you're a kid and you're just like acknowledging that you're having yeah. these feelings and letting them exist instead of trying to beat them or beating yourself up for having them. Um, and then a lot of times, if it is a question of like danger or no danger, like if I'm afraid of something, I'll sort of analyze it like, okay, why am I afraid of it? Like, do I have a reason to be afraid? Like, mm. is there something that could happen to me that, that, that right. could I get injured? Could, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Like a lot of times I'm afraid. And if I actually sit there, take a minute and think about why I'm afraid, there's nothing, there's nothing dangerous about the situation. It's like, I'm just scared because there's 3000 feet of air under my feet. But in reality, like if I fall, I'm not going to hit anything. I'm going to hit air because there's 3000 feet of it. Um, so it's just, it's, it's a very like rational process of just slowing down and like thinking it through. 
Why November 4th, Emily? Was, why did you choose that day? Yeah, I, um, I'd always had it in my mind that I was going to try the first week of November. Um, I think that just knowing how the past seasons had gone, knowing that I had all of October to prepare, that was just like in my brain, um, my, my ideal week. And then as it got closer, it actually started looking like there was a snowstorm coming uh, a day or two later. And then um, with the election and everything, it was just like there was a lot of like tension. And again, like I felt like I was not in control of anything. I'm sure a lot of people Mm -hmm. felt that way. There was like a lot of uncertainty. Um, And so what I did was I actually like deleted all my social media off my phone. I just like deleted my Instagram. I deleted my Twitter. I deleted my Facebook. And I was like, I'm just going to like check out for a while and like focus on this. And then like when I come back, like, you know, then then I'll be less nervous about my own personal things. And like, maybe the world will have figured some stuff out. So (laughs) I like, didn't want to doom scroll all day. I was like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to check out. (laughs) Doom scroll. That is the perfect, (laughs) you know, like everyone's just like scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And I was like, I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go climb. Uh. It's so healthy. No more doom scrolling. I'm just going to turn it. I'm going to try that. Turn it all off. And then when we yeah. come back from something. Yeah. It's refreshing, honestly. Like I might, I might start doing it every once in a while, like maybe for a few days at a time, just yeah. every weekend or so. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Um, all right. So when you get to 3,200 feet or wherever the peak of this Golden Gate route is, is it 3,000 feet, right? What, what did you do in that moment? When you finally got to the top and you looked at your clock, which read, (laughs) um, yeah, I read, it read 21 hours and 13 minutes, 18 minutes. I don't remember. 13. (laughs) 13. Yeah. And 51 seconds. And 51 seconds. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was really interesting because I'd always visualized that moment. I'd, I'd kind of fantasized about it for a couple of years now, like, oh, what's it going to feel like to get to the top, having free climbed Golden Gate in a day, um, and it was, it was this really, like, surreal, really peaceful, really quiet experience, because it was 10.30 p.m., and I just, I arrived at the top, and my fiance, Adrian, was belaying me, so he wasn't up yet, he was, like, still down, and I just had my filmer, John, with me, and he was just holding the camera, in my face and it was like sort of awkward but at the same time it was like most perfect peaceful experience I definitely I just like shouted like a little bit of profanity and then I um started to cry and I just like sat there uh and I yeah it was there was just a it was really it was amazing because a lot of times like achievements in climbing you don't it's not like a lot of other sports where there's like an audience or you're in a stadium or anything like that. Like we were just, it was just us and it was super quiet and it was super dark and it was just me and my little bubble of like my headlamp light. Um, and I just kind of like reveled in it a little bit and then, Uh. you know, yeah, just gave myself the permission to be like satisfied, which is hard for me. Wow. Oh, I love how you put that. You gave yourself permission. (laughs) Yeah. That's another like therapy thing. (laughs) I'm also in therapy, so I'm picking up a lot of what you're putting down. Yeah, you gotta give yourself permission. <laughs> there was no like buzzer to hit like American Ninja no. Warrior, like boom, twenty-one hours. No, there was not. You know, it's funny that that became so like 
that everyone like latched on to that in the media because I actually didn't have my phone when I got to the top. Adrian had my phone and he was down below and it took him like at least like 20 or 30 minutes to get up to me. Oh, so, so you beat that time. Yeah, I totally beat it. I was like, oh, let me, I was like, I thought of it after we hugged and like we did the whole thing and I was like, oh, let me stop my clock. And then I like took out the phone. So I'm, it was definitely under 21 minutes. You need to edit that phone picture. I know. Sister, I would have taken every one of those minutes. You know you I want know. them. <laughs> I don't know. Like it was, right? it's the whole like 24 hour thing. It's like, it is a speed thing, but it's also just more about like having a continuous climb. Um, and so, you know, the 24 hour, it's just because that's how long a day is. So it wasn't really about like, but then my friend, my actually my really close friend who I worked on the route with, um, Jordan, he free climbed Golden Gate in a day, like two weeks later. And yeah. he, his time was 20 hours and like 26 minutes. And You're I was like, like, I got you. Dude, I definitely got around that time. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. We're going to put that out there. The new okay. time is. Breaking right? news. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I definitely. I yeah. I'm curious why one starts at 1.34 a.m. in the pitch dark and then ends in the pitch dark. Is there a strategy to that? Yeah, there is a strategy to that. And the, the strategy is that the, the first, I would say, 2,000 feet of, the, of El Cap is, is relatively easier climbing or moderate, more moderate climbing. Um, and so it's a lot easier to climb that in the dark um, than, than, say, the harder climbing. But the, the other part of it is I, I wanted to reach one of the harder pitches in the daylight, but not in the sun. So in the daylight, so that I could uh, see the holds, but not in the sun because the sun heats up the rock and then it gets much harder to hold on to and it's easy to slip. Got it. And so the part that I wanted to reach, I wanted to reach, it was like 2,200 feet off the ground. And I wanted to reach that part around 7 a.m. And it goes into the sun at like 9 a.m. Um, so I just like did the math backwards and was like, if I start at one thirty, then I'll reach this place by this time. And then I can do this pitch in the shade and it'll still be cool, but I'll be able to see. Um, and so it was that sort of like strategizing. Oh, and then, and then you also kind of recognize that you're going to go into a second night. Um, a lot of people have like various strategies for doing it. Like some people yeah. start like 3 PM in the afternoon and they'll like climb into the night and then they'll sleep for a few hours and then and then climb in the morning when it's cooler. But it's, for me, it was, it's, that's kind of hard to do. Cause then your, your whole body clock is really, my whole body yeah. clock was really off anyway, but that just seemed like a little brutal. <laughs> you never slept, right? Mm -mm, no, I didn't sleep. Um, wow. no, it did not. Wow. Are you eating as you go up drinking? Mm -hmm. What are you, how do you get yeah, through that? Lynn, Lynn's going into mom mode. I'm what so, did you have? Yeah. <laughs> I'm really fascinated by how you have to fuel yourself. Yeah. So for me, it's actually really hard to eat on the wall because it's just, you're constantly doing something and, yeah. but it's really important. So I would try to eat and drink like at every pitch, like at the end of every rope length or whatever. When I, um, and for me, it's really basic, simple things like nuts, bars, like, um, like I brought these little like packets of olives. <laughs> um, hmm. uh, I brought donuts. like no donuts. Hmm. Um, I brought a burrito, but I didn't really end up eating it. I brought more than I needed. I, candy. I like candy. You, wait, you brought a burrito with you? <laughs> if you bring a burrito, a burrito, you could have had donuts with you. It's Emily. true. I could I'm have. Saying, Let's but wait. I didn't eat it because I don't have a good appetite when I'm up there. So it's like, it's pretty hard for me to eat. Like I, I eat a lot of snacky things, like right. a lot of things that I can just eat like a few of at a time and then I can climb and then I can do more. 
Um, but I had a lot of food and water because I did have like, when you're, when you're climbing, I'm obviously climbing with another person, um, who's holding my rope. And so he had like a big backpack full of like food and water and he's aid climbing. So he would like, I'd climb and then fix, like attach the rope to something and he would like climb up the rope. Mm -hmm. So for him, he could like carry a lot of weight and stuff. Was that Alex Honnold? That was his role? Yeah. So I climbed the first 2000 feet of the wall with Alex Honnold. That was his role. Um, and I'm, it's more complicated than I made it sound. I had various things stashed along the route as well, like food and water at certain places so that he didn't have to carry all of it. Um, and then the way that we climbed the, the route was we did something called simul climbing, which is where the like dangerous side comes in. So I was attached to the top of the rope and he was attached to the bottom. And we, we essentially climbed simultaneously up the wall. Uh, like you'd imagine like a caterpillar, like snaking its mm. way up the wall. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, really fast. Um, it's quite a bit more dangerous because you don't place as much protection um, along the way. And right. the potential for taking big falls like I did last year is, is pretty high. Um, so you have to really be careful and know what you're doing and be competent. And Alex Honnold is like one of the best people in the world to do that with, um, especially because he obviously knows the first, the first part of my route actually of the Golden Gate actually shares um, the same climbing that he did when he free soloed it. Um, so he's, he's pretty competent at that climbing. He knows it pretty well. Um, so yeah, that was, he was my partner for the first 2000 feet. And then my fiance, Adrian actually rappelled in from the top. Hmm. Um, and supported me on the last thousand feet just Gosh. because that was when it got hard. And that's when I really needed that like emotional yeah. support from my person. Uh, so I switched <laughs> out. I like had, I, Alex got to go, Alex got to leave and Adrian started blaming. Yeah. Uh, how cool to, to be able to do that together too. In yeah. The end, it's right pretty there. special for sure. Uh, to share that. So when you, when you achieve like this big hairy goal like this that you've been dreaming about for years, what's then the mindset? Is it like, ah, I got another one I want to do? Or do you, do you kind of go to, wow, okay, I'll check that off the bucket and I'm, gonna, I'm good for a while. I'm going to chill a little bit. Is there chill in you? I don't sense that. It's, it's both. Um, I'm trying to, I'm working on my chill is what's happening. <laughs> Um, and I've been working on it for a few years now, like working on the, like that, taking those like periods of like downtime and, and, and being a little bit slower. Um, but in the back of my mind, it is, there is those like little like permeating ideas of like, Oh, what could I do next? Like, what right. else can I do? Where can I go? Like, what else can I do on LCAP? Like, you know, now I feel finally, I actually finally feel like comfortable up there. I finally feel like, you know, mm. I, I can exist up there without being like, freaked out the whole time. So, you know, wh where can I take that? Um, but at the same time right now, uh, I'm just enjoying climbing with Adrian. Um, we're focusing a little bit more on his climbing goals this, mm -hmm. this winter, which is pretty fun. Um, and just like returning back down to the ground every time. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been good. I'm, I'm really trying hard to chill because I'm, I'm recognizing that this was a really big goal for me and it took a lot out of me. And I think that those down periods are pretty important. Yeah. Another quote that Julie and I both love from your Instagram is impossible dreams challenge us to rise above who we are to see if we can become better versions of ourselves. Mm. It's the question then, how have you become better from achieving this? Yeah, I. It's so funny. Everyone pull, is pulling those those uh, Instagram quotes. That They're was so good. Like, they really so good. I'm so like, yes! good. It was just, yes. 
<laughs> that just that just flowed so well that day. I don't know what was happening. You were in a flow state on Insta. <laughs> I was. I was like, yeah, I'm impressed that I came up with that. Um, it, you know, I think I, I think I learned. I think what I what I what came what came away from this whole experience was I really had to accept the fact that I might fail before I could succeed. Mm. I had to go to that place where I, I came up with this idea to try to free climb the Golden Gate in a day. And I really didn't think that I was going to do it. Like in my head, when I first came up with it, I was like, well, that's not going to happen. Like that, that's just, that was so far out there for me. Um, but I thought that it might be worth working towards it. Um, and I thought that it might be interesting to work towards it and I might learn a lot. And then the, the interesting thing that happened was I became aware of the fact that I could actually do it. Like last year I felt like, Oh, I'm capable of this. And then I wanted it really badly. And I almost, I feel like I almost wanted it too badly. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted the success. And then I had to go, it was like a roller coaster. And then I had to be like, okay, well, I know I'm capable of it, but it still might not happen. And I have to be okay with that. And I have to be able to try anyway. Um, and that's the tricky space, I think. So when you know you can do something, but you still have to accept that it might not happen. Um, and I think as athletes, that's what's, that's what's hard. That's what can be pretty devastating. And um, for me, that was, that was a really big fear of mine. And I think on, after I hit my head on that ledge, like that whole thing I just, that whole thing I went through, I had to come to a place where I was like, okay with, with not doing it. Mm. And for whatever reason, that's what allowed me to just go climbing. Yeah. You gave, yeah. Again, you gave yourself permission in a way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. To be okay with it. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you said, I almost wanted it too much, which is interesting because as athletes, you know, I, I noticed this a lot when you want it too much, you hold super tight and you start gripping really tight and you strangle the joy out of it almost. Right. Because yep. you want it so badly. Yeah. And it's, I go through this no matter what I'm climbing. It actually is a lesson that I seem to have to learn over and over and over again. Um, I do get attached to things and I get obsessed with things and I want the success so badly. And then it's only when I, when I somehow something happens, whether I, you know, start to fail more or I start to like mentally mess with myself, I have to come to a place where I get kind of upset and I get kind of mad or I get injured or whatever that may be. And I almost give up in a way. It's almost like, it's like letting go. I loosen right. the grip on it and I just allow myself to try. And, and that's, that's really, it's really interesting process. And it's something that I've never figured out how to like skip over the, the period where you, <laughs> right. you want it so badly. Like, I don't know how to, I, I can't like skirt around it. There's like no detour. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think there should be though, right? It's the know, wanting yeah. it so badly that drives you. If yeah. you don't have that, you don't have the, the passion behind yeah. it. Yeah, but it's almost like you have to trick yourself. Like I get to the point where I'm like, I don't want to, like, this is stupid. Why am I even doing this? Like, this is dumb. I want to go home. Like, I don't care anymore. And it's like, I know that I do care. I know, but I get so yeah. mad and I like, it's like I hit rock bottom and then it's like all of a sudden my brain's like, okay, cool. Now you can climb one. Like now you're going to, yeah. you're fine now. Uh, Go forth. <laughs> such a good lesson for so many things in life too. I think so. Yeah. You guys got to keep at it. I think that's what yeah. it is. Like just keep trying without any sort of like expectation. All right. 
I know you're competitive and okay. I know you have a lot of passion for success, but I'm sorry to let you know that our next segment is a game that gets okay. competitive and okay. I am really good. And so I just want you to be comfortable in the uncomfortable of losing. Okay. Game. I'm actually good at, I'm good at losing games because I'm not very good at games. Julie's <laughs> terrible at this game. So. It does not diminish my competitive nature. However, I've got my little squeaky donut ready to go. All right, is this gonna work? Oh my god. <laughs> it's a coffee grinder. We're on the road, so it's like this is all we have. <laughs> or is it a peppercorn grinder? It's a coffee grinder. It's a mini one. Because we're we're coffee uh, snobs. Uh, so we grind it every so time. Good. <laughs> and look at Swaggy. Swaggy wants <laughs> Oh, he wants a toy. Swaggy wants the toy. You can't you can't have it, Swaggy. It's part of the game. <laughs> Emily, every podcast we play a trivia game in which Julie goes head to head with a guest. There will be five questions. It's best of five. The theme always changes. In this instance, there's no theme. It's just a grab bag. Random okay. trivia. Oh, wait, what? Uh-huh. Okay. That's new, Lynn. I like it. All multiple choice. If you think you know the answer, you can make your noise at any point to answer the question. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. This is so stressful. <laughs> Emily, Emily, good luck. You too. <laughs> Question one. Which country consumes the most chocolate per capita? Is it A, Switzerland, B, Australia, or C, the United States? Emily. Per capita, uh, A. Correct, Switzerland. Ugh, I knew it. I was gonna do that. Why didn't I just click? Why didn't I squeak in, Swaggy? Hi, <laughs> Swaggy. I knew it. Question two: Which singer's real name is Stephanie Germanata? Oh God! Here we you, go. I'm gonna give you multiple choice. Is it A. Shaka Khan, B. Kesha, or C. Lady Gaga? Wait, say the name again. Sure. Real name is. Mm hmm Stephanie Germanata. Julie. Lady Gaga. Correct. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Swaggy! Swaggy! I feel like I feel like I we should have known that. I also I, know. <laughs> I, I also too. have a feeling I mispronounced her last name, but I just remember it was it is Lady Italian Gaga. Name. Okay. This one That's might well. be my favorite of the questions. Question three, in 1901, school teacher Annie Edson Taylor became the first person to do what? Is it A, survive a trip over Niagara Falls in a barrel? B, walk across the U.S. barefoot? Or C, fly solo across the Atlantic blindfolded? Uh, Julie. I have no idea, but I'm going with A. Correct. Oh, that's what I was going to say, too. I feel like I've heard of that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Over Niagara Falls in a barrel. That's crazy. Okay. I'm going to have count? to start taking risks. Uh, Julie has two. Yes, two. Emily has one. I have one. If I get the next one, Emily, I win. You win. Okay. Good luck. Question four. What is the tiny plastic piece called at the end of a shoelace? Oh, God. A, a knot it? B, an aglet, or C, a doohickey? Emily. B? Correct, an aglet. Uh, oh, oh just, this is it good. Just, it's down to the wire. Sounded, 
sounded like, right. You get it after this one. You got this. <laughs> for, in, for those listening at home, Swaggy is desperately wants the <laughs> squeaky toy donut in Julie's hand. All right, here we go. Question five. It's all tied up two to two. What is the tallest breed of dog in the world? Is it A, a Great Dane, B, a Mastiff, or C, a Greyhound? Emily. Uh, a Mastiff? Incorrect. Oh, <laughs> that's what I would have said too. Okay. Oh no. Great Dane. Correct. Oh! <laughs> that was good. Good, that was a good game. Maggie, <laughs> you get the donut. Oh, that was a good one. Down oh, that was fire. Yeah, that re- I was sweating. I don't know if anyone else is sweating, but I was sweating. Super tense. Uh, thank you. Thank you. You can't win everything in November, Emily. I mean, that no, it's much. true. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be ready to fail. <laughs> then you can allow yourself to try in the next yep, time you play. Exactly. Okay. Uh, most pressing questions. Are you ready? Yeah. You met your fiance atop Mount Everest. Please explain. Mm, not quite on the top, but close. Uh, yeah, camp <laughs> camp two, 22,500 feet. We met We met there. Mm-hmm. I was climbing the mountain with the North Face team, and he's, he's a mountain guide, so he was yeah. guiding the mountain. He goes to Everest every season. Um, so we met there, and then later we reconvened at a, a party at base camp. So who yeah. can say in their life, I met my future husband at 22,500 feet? Not many. It might be, yeah, I don't know of anyone else. So I might have a record there. (laughs) That's so good. Okay. um, Do I have this right? You have a dog called Cat? Yes. Our dog's (laughs) name is Cat. She's a Catahoula leopard dog. Have you ever heard Ah. of that? Yeah. Um, They're the the Louisiana state dog. Fun fact. Um, They're like kind of like a herding dog. They were bred to hunt wild boar in like the marshlands of Louisiana. And she's, she's actually a, she's a rescue. Um, we got her three years ago and she's, uh, she's amazing, but we just named her cat. So (laughs) does she have her own Instagram page? She does. Um, dog called cat. (laughs) It's very appropriately named. (laughs) Do people think you're crazy when you're like, come here, cat. A little bit. People are always like, wait, okay, cool. Dog (laughs) called cat. I get it. Yeah. It's catchy. We learned from the documentary Free Solo that climbers live out of vans, uh, especially near Yosemite, and they're quite small. So what is something that you have to have with you when you're staying in a van? Um, oh, there's a couple of things. Can I have like a few things? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so we have, a, we have a 1990 Ford Econoline with an Airstream topper. Her oh, name is nice. Sketchy Betty. Um, she's amazing she has loads of room um but the thing about her is the bed is like really high it's like a one of those coffin beds that like you lay down in there and you can't sit up or anything like that and it's really if you have to pee in the middle of the night it's pain to get out it's kind of feels like dangerous because you have to like go down like six feet or something like that and so um and especially I actually use these more than when I'm just in my van but I I have a a pee bottle that I use. <laughs> Julie, you need one of those. I need that. Wait, tell yeah. me more. It's just a Nalgene, like a wide mouth Nalgene. Um, <laughs> it takes, and for women, women like like to mess around with like those 
pea funnel things and like there's all kinds of things on the market but i don't believe in any of that just a wide mouth nalgene i'm considering doing a tutorial about how to pee in a nalgene because i can do it pretty much anywhere i can do it in bed i'm really good at it um there's a whole technique and most women are like afraid to do it and it's not it's the best thing ever you don't have to get out of bed amazing no seriously you just changed my life I'm, I, yeah, I know. Uh, you I, need to do that tutorial. How does one do that horizontal is what I want to know. Well, you do have to sit up. You can't like, oh. just, you can't just lay over, but you kind of got to like crouch down a little bit. Um, uh-huh. But, but you didn't have the headspace. It sounds like I do. I, I, can, oh, like, you do. <laughs> I can like roll over onto my knees and like make it work. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> it's way better than crawling down and like, yeah, it's way better. <laughs> uh, is that no. what you do when you're climbing too? No, when you're climbing, you just, you just go. Oh, you do? Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, you obviously like you pull your pants down, but when you pee, you pee, like you just pee off the wall into space and like, right. It's uh, sometimes it's unfortunate if it's windy, um, <laughs> it can like blow back up. This is a tangent. Um, I actually got peed on while I was climbing on November 4th. Like, no way. November, yeah, it's a common thing on El Cap. Cause there's like people above you. There's people all around. It's like, Oh, what? It's very much an accepted thing that happens. Like for sure. Like if you climb enough on big walls, you're going to get peed on and you probably okay. will pee on someone else. Two corrections we're <laughs> going to have to make to your story. You did it in 20 hours <laughs> and you did it with piss on you. I, I mean, yeah. seriously. But you also, you just have to like it. You, that's one of those things you just, it happens and you like put it yeah. away in the cupboard and you just move on. <laughs> Could be I, best, I have so many follow-ups, but I'm just going to let that one go. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I can't let it go. Honestly, I just need, I need one thing. last, how, how did you discover this wide bottle? What did you call it? Wide bottle? What? Like a Nalgene bottle, like the wide mouth. Just make sure you don't get one. That's like a small, with like a small opening. Yeah. <laughs> it needs hard. to be like just a normal Nalgene bottle is, is what okay. you use. And I discovered it because like going to the mountains, like going and climbing Mount Everest, it's super, super cold. And so like when you have to pee in the middle of the night, also when you go to altitude and you're acclimatizing, like getting used to altitude, you, you pee a lot. Um, that's just a part of the process. And so you get up and pee in the middle of the night, like multiple times, and you just don't want to get out of your sleeping bag. It's too cold. And so basically everyone has a pee bottle and you just like learn how to use it. Please do that tutorial, please. Yes, I should actually, because I get a lot of questions about it and I, it's not that hard. Like as a woman, it's just not, it's just not that hard. We can all do it. (laughs) This is going to be a game changer in your life, Julie. I can't tell you the level of my excitement for that. Okay, last segment we do is called High Low Cheer, Emily. And this is something that uh, I do around the dinner table with my kids. They're high of the day, they're low of the day, and someone they cheer for. But for you, we would like your high of your career, your low of your career, and your cheer is for someone you are grateful for who has helped you along the way. Ooh. Okay. Okay. So the high of my career, that one's pretty obvious and easy. Um, that was probably November 4th, actually. That was sort of like the culmination of everything I've ever worked for in my, in my career. Um, all just coming together. Mm. Uh, and, and that was pretty magical. That's why I'm still like trying to just revel in it a little bit. Um, (laughs) The low of my career, I, I would say I've had a lot of lows and a lot of failures, but I think a lot of the lows 
in my career and I think just in climbing in general is the fact that it is it can be a dangerous sport and it is something where we we do lose we do lose friends we do lose people um and that sucks and that's hard Mm. um it's always hard to deal with I lost a friend this this past February so that was that's always just like something that that um we kind of accept about what we do but also it's it's never easy um so I'd say there's like been a couple lows in that way um Mm. and then someone I'm grateful for oh there's so many people actually um but I would say that I am I'm say I'd say I'm I'm truly grateful for Adrian my fiance and my climbing partner and the person who honestly like kind of like helped me get to the high of my career um I I didn't there's one part of the story when I hit my head and like came down and didn't want to continue trying he was the person that was like you owe it to yourself to try again like you can you can do this and you just have to try again um and I don't know if if I would have gotten to that place alone um without him so it was sort of his his words and his encouragement that allowed me to let myself try again. And, and, and I think that he's someone that's sort of always believed in me and even when I didn't believe in myself. So I think that that's been, he's been pretty important to me in many ways. Aww, yeah. Such a good, important reminder to have those people in your life too at those moments, right? Yeah, for sure. The partnership uh, thing is really important, especially in climbing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing all this. So, so good. Thank you for having me. That was so fun. Uh, What a joy to hear your story too. And for people to know, and you you don't have to be a rock climber, obviously, to relate to all of this uh, in in terms of how it deals with limits in your life and and existing in those limits and giving people the courage to do so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, thanks. I mean, thanks for having me on. That was, (laughs) I didn't quite know what to expect. That was great. <laughs> we are great, Emily. You should always expect that. This is the best <laughs> podcast ever. Come on, it's awesome. Yeah, no, it was so so fun. <laughs> that just became our new promo. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah, I really didn't. Now you know, Em. Now you know. Always expect greatness with laughter permitted. We don't do mediocre. And we aim to please. We do. We want people to have a good time. That's right. And guess what's top of my Christmas list? What's that? A wide mouth bottle. <laughs> we both said it. Game changer for you. Oh, gosh. Really? It really is. Takeaways, Jules. Take it away. I have about 500, so bear with me. <laughs> uh, and whatever this says about me, do not judge. But I am irked for Emily that they did not smack the buzzer, mm-hmm. American Ninja style, at the top of the mountain and stop that clock. She should right. be at 20 hours something. Right. <sighs> that irks me. That has been sitting with me. And I want people to know. She beat, tw- she beat 21. So her friend Jordan, she's right there with you, bro. <laughs> oh, that would drive me crazy. I'd have been I like, think- no one stopped the timer. We would have saved 30 minutes. Anyways. Emily didn't seem to mind, but she this is really bothering you. She didn't, which is really good. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't bother you? <laughs>
Like I might have been like, I'm going to go do that again tomorrow. <laughs> and we're going to remember to stop the timer. Okay. Um, and but we did break We did break it. It is breaking news. So we think it's like under 21 hours. She said she thought about 20 to 30 at least. And then they chatted. And then they embraced mm-hmm. to discuss. And then they finally were like, oh, we need to stop the timer. So I'm going to say 30 minutes since she said 20 to 30. So you take that off. She's at like 2045. Okay, there you have it. Breaking news. What else do you have? As you know, Lynn, with the Leadership Academies, I am obsessed with discussing being comfortable in the uncomfortable with all our young women that come through the academies. And so I loved it when she said, I think more people do want to exist in it. They just don't know it, right? Profound. I know. And... She said, instead, they default to the comfortable path, which reminded me of Glennon Doyle's line in her new book, Untamed, which I'm rereading again. Being human, and I actually underlined this the first time I read it, being human is not hard because you are doing it wrong. It's hard because you are doing it right. You'll never change the fact that being human is hard, so you must change your idea that it was supposed to be easy. It reminded me of that line. I was like, ah, so good. And then my last one was um, when she said, I learned that I had to accept the fact that I might fail before I could succeed because it then gave her permission to allow herself to try. And that I don't think people get sometimes, right? They always think about success, 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 success without understanding that you do have to be okay also with the failing. Mm -hmm. I loved that too. Ah, so many good lines, Emily. Your takeaways, Lynn? Emily's idea of existing in your limits really resonated Mm -hmm. with me. I've heard push your limits or there are no limits, but existing in your limits. I loved that phrase and it's something I'll be carrying with me. And interestingly enough, I was going to bring up Untamed. Oh, seriously? I've been rereading it for the past month. Every day I read a section of it. And it was actually at the suggestion of my therapist to do that. Uh-huh. So existing in your limits made me think of another great insight from Glennon, which is to feel it all. Mm-hmm. What I'm learning is that to truly feel it all, it's going to get uncomfortable at times. And it's much easier to numb it, to avoid it, to run away from it. But by sitting in that uncomfortable feeling or existing in a limit, as Emily put it, it's proving to myself that I can do it and get to the other side. Right. I loved also when she said, like, we could want it too much, right? And then if we're not successful because we want it so badly, then it, you strangle everything out of it and you have to get to a point of like, ah, I'm just going to not want it anymore and almost fool myself into not wanting it to allow myself then to try. Mm. It was so good. So many good takeaways. We could do a whole other episode on takeaways Uh, from Emily's episode. I told her after we were done recording that she needs her own podcast. (laughs) Right. I will produce it. I'm ditching you. I'm out. Emily, I'm out. Thanks, Jules. I'm outie, Julie. Before you ditch me, questions (laughs) permitted, please. I'm going to throw a little curveball today. Oh. Instead of questions permitted, I'm going to introduce a new segment. Oh, what? called Gifts Permitted. Mm. And this is for you. Oh, look at this. Gifts Permitted. You might need to hold your mic while you're opening it. 
That right there is your very own Nalgene wide mouth water bottle. I couldn't help myself. I had to get one for you. And Emily kept referring to this Nalgene water bottle. And I was like, you what had, is she? You had no idea what, what? that was. I thought it was a mason jar. But I knew what she was talking about. Uh, and what I did. my wide mouth Nalgene bottle. Your very own Nalgene wide mouth bottle. Because you and I both know you need it. <laughs> yes. And I ordered it from Dick's Sporting Goods online and did curbside pickup and it was easy peasy. Really? Fantastic. Look at you. Yes, Dick's. You got wide mouth Nalgene bottles. Yes, of course you do. So Merry Christmas early. Thank you, Santa. We just need to get the instructional video from Emily on how you're supposed to use it. Oh, that's funny. Emily, greater incentive for you to do the tutorial, please. Please do it. Um, I like that little uh, audible you just called, Lynn. Thank you. You are very welcome. This episode is coming out the day before Thanksgiving. So we want to take this opportunity to express how grateful we are for you. We definitely have an attitude of gratitude for this dope village, for all of our listeners. Have a happy and healthy Thanksgiving. And thank you as well to our sponsors, Ally Bank and Dick Sporting Goods. A shout out to our favorite singer-songwriter, Kate Diaz, a Julie Foddy Sports Leadership Academy alum who composed our theme music. And as always, kids, remember, sing it with us. Laughter permitted. If you climb enough on big walls, you're going to get peed on. Wake up to the best sports story you'll hear all day. Monday through Friday, host Pablo Torre brings you an inside look at the most interesting story at ESPN as told by the top reporters and insiders. That's ESPN Daily. Subscribe and listen along with Laughter Permitted wherever you get your podcasts.